Today, Dr. Melanie Burton, a forensic and counseling psychologist, clinical social worker, and licensed addictions counselor, brings you one step closer to a new you, where you feel empowered and on a positive path to growth and well-being. As a solutions-focused therapist, Dr. Melanie Burton can help you live a life worth celebrating by unearthing those long-standing behavior patterns and perceptions that may be holding you back. And now, here's your host, Dr. Melanie Burton. Hello, everybody. I hope everybody's doing great. So we're just about halfway through the week. Today is Wednesday. It is hump day. And today I have a really wonderful guest on my show that um, I'm looking forward to everyone meeting. It's Kevin. It's Kevin coming out here. Where is he? Can you hear me? How are you? <laughs> it's a pleasure. Hi, Kevin. It's a pleasure. How are you doing? Good. It's a pleasure meeting you. How are you? It's, it's nice to meet you, too. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on my show today. Well, thank you for having me as a host. Yes. I'm very, very happy and excited to learn more about you. So, just so that everyone knows. I apologize. I'm having problems with this, my little earpiece. Um, so today our guest is Kevin Meham. Kevin is a trauma survivor, integrative health specialist, and the founder of the Meham Formulations. Kevin was faced with emotional trauma, abuse, addiction, and homelessness as a teenager to inspire others to overcome their challenges just as he was able to do. He has written of these experiences in his memoir, Fallen Peppercorns, Fallen Peppercorns, Overcoming Child Abandonment, Abuse, Starvation, and Drug Addiction to Become a Humble Optimist. The memoir begins in the 1970s when the lives of five young brothers and OG, Ojai, Oh, hi. <laughs> oh, hi, California, are turned upside down as their family unit fractures under the weight of verbal abuse and depression, which pulls their parents apart. When a priest arrived unannounced to tell them their single mother was admitted to a mental institution, they were put on a Greyhound bus with few belongings, abandoning their pets to Clackamas County. Oregon to live with their father and his new family. When the boys endure humiliation and neglect to the point of starving by their second family, 13-year-old author Kevin escapes alone and ends up back in Southern California where he lives in an orchard, stays alive eating oranges and falls into selling and using heroin as an alternative to spor spor sporadic backbreaking labor. 
somewhere be- between beautiful mind explain- expanding drug induced experiences, horrific beatings, and sexual assault, Kevin learned to rely only on himself. In the face of despair, Kevin developed a mental toughness tempered with compassion and a deep appreciation for the full spectrum of life gifts, without which he would not have survived. Fifty years later, Kevin has overcome the embarrassment and shame of his experiences to tell his story with a sincere motivation to help others who are having trouble progressing in their lives because of trauma. Kevin's core belief is that even the most traumatic events are experiences that cannot diminish the beauty and potential help within us unless we allow them to do so. His ability to thrive despite the most horrific childhood experiences offers readers a blueprint to elevate their expectations and redefine what's possible. Kevin's use of the metaphor of falling peppercorns from the ancient tree outside of his childhood home summarizes his perspective. Quote, I think my brothers and myself and how we all started out in life no different than the fallen peppercorns knocked from the tree by bad weather and scattered into the wind. But no matter how many times a peppercorn is crushed underneath a a shoe or car tire, it still has the ability to paint its seed and grow. Trials and tribulations, bad weather, and the winds and rains of life make for more resilient peppercorns and a more and more resilient people. What's unique about Kevin is his ability to accept his suffering and his deep appreciation for life's challenges which he believes are instrumental in developing the mental fortitude he excludes today. While his memoir primarily focuses on one year in his young life, through public speaking, podcasting, and his integrative medicine practice in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Kevin openly shares his refreshing philosophies that challenge our modern culture that seeks fulfillment from external validation avoidance of pain, and incessant striving for, quote, more rather than self-love and a deep appreciation for the full spectrum of life gifts. Despite a traumatic upbringing, Kevin Meehan has long since recognized the importance of compassion in helping others, both animals and people. After arresting his own type 2 diabetes naturally, Kevin became an integrative healthcare practitioner and founded Teton Valley Health Clinic in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, over 30 years ago. Through his practice, he addresses a, a whole range of issues from acute injuries to chronic imbalances in active people. His curiosity and passion for biochemistry let him design and produce the unique patented me hand formulations line of supplements for both people and dogs that restore health naturally by addressing the root causes of health challenges instead of treating the symptoms. Kevin has a master's degree in oriental medicine 
an Oriental medical degree and holds a diploma in acupuncture. His Meehan Health Line is a compilation of online instructions, cooking courses that comprehensively examine the root causes of diseases such as diabetes, arthritis, MS, depression, cancers, and heart disease. Wonderful. So let me start, Kevin, by telling you that um, the reason that I wanted you on my show is because the majority of my patients suffer from trauma. And what is so inspiring about your story is where you are to like to today and the life that you live and everything that you're doing to help help people heal. Well, thank you. And once again, it's an honor being on your show. And I appreciate individuals like you that are helping so many people in assistance. It's wonderful. Um, I'm honored to be here. And I'm honored that uh, the book is out and to present what happened to me as a child, uh, that maybe it will provoke some inspiration for individuals that feel if they've had a difficult time in their past, that, that there are opportunities for us to overcome as I'm not any more special than anyone else. And if I can do it, so can they. Yes, it can be done. So what was, what I thought was so nice is that you actually provide people with uh, the ability to download your book for free. Yes. And that's, once again, it's about for me personally to convey the possibility of enhancing individuals' lives by allowing ourselves as individuals to let go and not let the things that we can consider unfortunate that happened to us in the past, to let it, let that hold us back from our potential. Most definitely, because a lot of people who went through what you went through may not have been able to survive. So the question I have for you, Melanie, is what do you think that fragment is within us that allows us to do that as individuals, to allow ourselves to understand our experiences can actually be a benefit rather than a negative and can propel us to a different uh, platform in our lives to garner success as we might interpret that success for whatever it is. I believe it has to do with having a sense of resiliency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for me personally, the book is meant to convey, if we have an, if I can use an analogy very quickly, and I'll make this short. I remember there's one section of the book where I was homeless living in the, the orchards, mm -hmm. uh, citrus orchard. And I noticed a cubby of quail. They were calmly, uh, pecking away to get food. And I noticed that they had nothing. And yet they seemed very content. They had, obviously, they were just looking for whatever they could garner from the soil. And it was at that time, personally, I realized, I feel fortunate to have at least citrus trees around me that are providing fruit that mm -hmm. are at my fingertips. So mm -hmm. that's how I interpreted it. Oh, that's great. How long were you like living in the woods like that? Uh, 18 months. Oh my God. Yeah, about 18. Well, actually, Portland, Oregon, as the book suggests, we were 
put in the basement. And that that's a whole different topic within the book, a whole different segment. But being homeless, actually, after that, after I was able to run away from that, I would suggest it was winter through so probably six, six to seven months, six months of going through the rape. You know, I was raped multiple times and then I became addicted to heroin. Um, and things at that time, I, be, I became, it, life became relatively, how, how can I say this? It wasn't that it wasn't important, but I became more aware that this may very well be my life, being addicted to heroin, homelessness. And then I realized, as I mentioned, looking at those quail, that I had the opportunity of honoring what I have rather than what I didn't have. So I, it, there was a shift from looking at, let me be bene- let me be grateful for having oranges at my fingertips rather than what I didn't have, which was a home. Wow. So how did you come out of that? How did you end up out of that homeless situation? Um, well, what happened is I was, I was uh, arrested or basically caught for selling drugs to my high school colleagues. I was put into juvenile hall for one day. My mother retrieved me. And at that time, she picked me up and she, on her way home or to her house, I recall her specifically saying, Kevin, maybe we can work this out. You can stay in a loft, uh, uh, you know, that's aside from the house and you can stay with me as long as you don't tell any of the authorities or anyone else that you're living with me. And to extrapolate on this, basically this gave me the opportunity. At least I had a, a shelter. At least I had a loft. You couldn't stand in it. It was only like four feet high, but at least I had a place to rest, to stay warm. And then I basically uh, applied for a job dishwashing and that's, it, it became cumulative. The response of being able to move through this and to appreciate what I had, the loft itself, Melanie, I can't tell you, everything else from that point of time became a gift. Everything from anyone saying hi to me and not wanting to hurt me. Anyone coming up and offering me perhaps a piece of food, having a loft to stand. All of this was a gift compared to what I'd been through. So in many ways, Melanie, my experiences of the past and being homeless was a gift to me because it made me appreciate every single thing I had in my life. And that still manifests to this day. Wow, that's great. We take so much for granted, don't we? We, we do. Even the ability that you and I have developed a very quick friendship here, just in this brief period of time. And I'm mm-hmm. honored that I have the opportunity to meet you. And this in itself is a gift. And it's something to me that is, is honorable because, and Melanie, to explain it, I've learned how to love myself. And that's not a narcissistic perspective, meaning learning to love ourselves for who we are rather than what we feel we should be 
mm-hmm. and not have to always depend on external validation for validity was important to me. And it's accepting myself for who I am, not wanting to be any better or not wanting to be any worse. Just like those quail <laughs> that were uh, looking for food in the orchard. It's the right. same summary. And that's that's like so important being in, in, when when you're on a path of healing from your pain mm-hmm. is you know being able to have self love. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. If you don't have self love, how can you give love to others? How can others love you? Exactly. So you have to first love yourself. Very good perspective. You hit it right on the head, I feel. And now I'm a healthcare practitioner, a research biochemist, and now I have the honor of being able to help others in the best way Mm -hmm. that I can. Mm -hmm. And the amount of patients that I have with clinical depression, the amount of patients that I have with emotional, as you're very well, you know, familiar with in your work, is I think what happened to me extends a process to where maybe I can help other people better by expressing to them, you know, to validation, self-validation, regardless. And Melanie, I often think of how many times we shame ourselves needlessly for things that really we're just living. We're just humans. And if we hit a car or if we hit a rabbit with a car, let's not hold ourselves guilty to that. You know, if it was an accident, it's an accident. And rather than uh, shame ourselves, let's do the best we can and understand that we're only capable of what we're capable of. And by accepting that, I think we begin to learn to love ourselves more, uh, more fundamentally appropriately. That's a great perspective. We have to learn how to forgive ourselves and understand that we're not perfect. All of us make mistakes. Mm-hmm. What I, a point that I want to make is that, you know, your mom had her own difficulties as well, but she never gave up on you. She Very never gave up on you. And she came back and she got her son. Very good point. And later on in life, she was able to get some of her younger children as well. And a very important point is a lot of people who've read the book are really uh, dismayed with my father's actions, uh, abandoning his kids. And two, two years before he passed away, I was having dinner with my younger brother with him and his current wife. And he got up from the table and he said, you kids have ruined my life. I'm sorry you were ever born. And Melanie, the important part to that is not to dislike my father, but to feel compassion for him. Because an individual with that attitude has, I felt sad for him at that moment. There wasn't anger. There was sadness and compassion in an individual that was in pain, emotional pain. He has five, what I consider, my brothers are great, um, five good kids. Uh, and to dismiss them, to me, is literally an individual that's expressing pain so much pain so much pain so much misery exactly. so much un, 
so much pain, so much misery, so much unhappiness. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's basically the premise of the story here, or the or my message is to to um, convey to people: you have the opportunity. If I can do it, you can do it, and it's more important to to suggest to people that I'm not any more important or less important than than they are. And if if I can do it, by all means, take an opportunity and try it yourself and really see what, explore your capacity. You might be surprised at what you're able to do. Right. Right. So talk to us a little bit about all the healing that you're doing these days. Sure. As far as my clinical practice or mm-hmm. my my personal. So basically, my clinical practice revolves around pathologies, internal pathologies, as an example. We have a lot of diabetes, type 2 diabetes, a lot of autoimmune conditions. Um, I do a lot of structural work, such as meniscal tears, knee injuries, disc repair, and things like that. Um, and then my company, Meehan Formulations, has processes that are not currently available other than my company on the market that are directed at treating specific conditions. So we're really excited to bring this process to people and to be able to help people. And that's the emphasis of what I'm doing is here, here I am as a voice to do the best I can for you as, you know, as society to help society. And that's what I feel my, my uh, work process is about. Oh, you really uh, picked your life up. You went to school. You got degrees, even a, a master's degrees, a master's master's degree, and a degree in Oriental medicine. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you make that happen? Well, basically, perseverance. I realized I did so poorly in high school because of the situation that I was in. I was surprised I even graduated to this day. Yeah. I still don't know how I graduated. And then I spent about four to five years working uh, through maintenance jobs and things like that. And then uh, I remember there was a particular time I said, well, listen, this I'm not content with. I need to get back to where I would like to be personally. And I enrolled in junior college and started the whole process again in junior college, three years I took all my courses that I did in high school. I even elaborated on prerequisites for undergraduate school. And basically, that was the road to nine years of of college. And I became so adapted to college that it was almost like my graduate year. It was like I didn't want to leave because I became so used to being in school. And and. I was like, I'm finally going out. I'm going to see if I can can generate this process to help people. And it has been gratifying to me what has happened in that 35 years. Wow, that's great. That's amazing. It's amazing. So what else would you like to share with the audience today? I would like to share a premise on how I my own perception and my own analogy. Uh, and it's not going to take long. 
the best way I can summarize survival for me is I want to use the analogy of picture a large lake, a large body of water. And if we picture ourselves going to the body of water and with a dropper, we extract one drop of water from that lake. We take the drop home with us. We put it in the car. And for the sake of the conversation, there's no evaporation that occurs. So when we look at why the drop remains as a single drop, it's because of surface tension. And the molecules holding that drop together, the surface tension of H2O and other uh, particles that are in the water, it's not pure H2O. We take that drop and we recognize it. We can give it a name. We identify it. And let's, for the analogy of the story, we keep this drop for a week. We put it on the windowsill. We recognize it. We become friends with that drop. After a week's period of time, we decide to take that drop back to the lake. We hold the dropper bottle above the surface of the water, and then we let the drop go. What happens when the drop strikes the surface of the water? That's the analogy. There is no more surface tension. There is no more individuality. That drop, the surface tension relaxes, and now the sequence of that drop of water touches all of the shore at once. It touches the bottom of the lake. It touches the surface of the lake. Melanie, that analogy is the analogy that I live in life, and that helps me allow myself to become a participant in us talking, that there's really no separation. There's no separation of any. Why would we hurt anyone else if it's hurting us? Why would we we be destructive? Why would we steal? That analogy sums it up for me, and I want to express that analogy. That And it has to do with quantum entanglement and quantum physics, but literally there's no separation. And that's that's the process of surviving for me and being able to do what I do in my clinical practice. And it, there's an understanding of chemistry and everything else and, you know, an understanding of medicine. But besides that, that's the analogy I take is that we're really, just like that drop of water, all we are literally from that big pool of water. We're only separate right now for this brief period of time, only if we choose to be. And it's letting ourselves go, letting the surface tension go, and understand that really we are, are part of that entire body of water. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Wow. Of course. So that's the summary of how I live. And there's been trauma that has happened. Um, so to extrapolate on your question, Melanie, really what is good and what is bad? And it's only our definition. In other words, what what I might consider as bad, you may consider as good and vice versa. So even it comes down to definition for me on what really we define as good or bad. They're just opposite ends of the spectrum. They create life in itself. And I remember in studying traditional Chinese medicine, the five basic elements and associated with those five basic elements are the emotions, 
of anger, joy, fear, sorrow, and worry. And to participate in experiencing all those emotions to me is the gratification of experiencing life. There's no particular time I want to excuse any of those emotions. I want to be able to experience them, but not to hang on to them, to allow them for me to experience it, just like you experience walking in the sunlight. You do it for a period of time, you experience it, and you walk inside, and that's done. And I think that's really, uh, for me, a critical attitude of being able to not judge emotions, but rather to experience them and not hang on to them, but rather let them go. Right. And speaking about the drug addiction, I mean, that happens with people spending years and years and years numbing their emotions. And then once they get clean and sober, bang, here come the emotions (laughs) and you can't numb them. Exactly. And instead, and this is your clinical work, which you're very well experienced in, is allow them to experience those emotions and not judge them. And I think it's conveying that to be able to say, listen, we are honored to be able to be living and to be able to experience all these emotions rather than to think that they're bad. Right. Right. And you're right, because a lot of people do judge the emotion. Oh, and- yeah. Get get angry with themselves for having that emotion. And to hang on to them. And, and you, as you probably are well experienced in clinical psychology and couples, we see these couples that divorce. I see a lot of them. And it's because of possession. It's because of judgment. Rather than to say, I really love you and I want you to be happy. If you want to be happy doing what you're doing, then do it. And I accept that. And that to me is true love. Rather than possessing, saying you will not do this. I don't want you doing that because it's even intriguing to me how we bring that into a relationship. Very true. So can you dig a little bit more into your uh clinical work and can you talk to us about the acupuncture sure so basically i don't practice so to speak traditional chinese medicine which emphasizes meridians in only a few sessions for like in, in, increasing visual acuity is one depression is another one where i use traditional acupuncture weight loss is another but primarily the application of using this is to instill, as an example, regeneration of cartilage or reabsorption of a disc that's been herniated or extruded, uh, labral tears in the shoulder and the hip. So basically, my work revolves around primarily, I'd say about 70% of injury, injury repair. I work on a lot of NFL players. Uh, I haven't seen many MLB players yet or NHL players, but primarily NFL players. And the as we can imagine, there's a lot of injuries in the NFL, structural injuries, knees, ankles, things like that. So I really work on that process of, of the potentiality of generating a reparative process that is uh, accentuated with the work that I do. And that's 
primarily the work. If we're dealing with a pathology such as cancer or autoimmune, we have processes to be able to, uh, which are very effective, by the way, uh, which can work in correlation or adjunct with allopathic medicine or even isolated from allopathic in itself. We have a lot of success with things like rheumatoid arthritis or, you know, any other autoimmune disease uh, that we can think of. So that's basically an encapsulation of what the practice is entails. Okay. So I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, all the people who have had knee replacement surgery. If someone is having problems with their knees, they can actually come to you and you can do a specialized type of acupuncture exactly. to help them. Exactly. And what That's amazing. Have, exactly, Melanie. But even more, what's more dramatic is we have a patent on the process with, that regenerates cartilage. It's not stem cell. It's not PRP. It's not any of that. There's actually the potential using these residues to form tropocollagen, which is basically the emphasis on how we recognize collagen, which are 28 different types. Uh, right now, and cartilage is a part of collagen. We have the potential and the possibility of generating this so they don't have to get a knee replacement. And that's the beauty of this. It really is um, very satisfying for me that we have the potential of being able to help people like this that may feel like they have no other option but to go right. through surgery or uh, a uh, replacement prosthetic. So what about people suffering from chronic pain? Do you have people who suffer from cr- chronic pain coming to see you? Correct. Correct. We do an evaluation, see what the C-reactive protein, C-reactive protein is generally a marker to give us an idea of why pain is there. And we have a process, Melanie, that you might find interesting. The addiction with, as we know, opioid addiction and things like that, the premise of this has to do with two receptor sites. They're opioid receptor sites. There's a delta and a mu receptor site. I'm not going to be too long here. I'll probably bore people. But we have discovered a way to increase or amplify the receptor site. So when we introduce this process, it lowers their need for the drug because it satisfies that receptor site. Right. And it's... So, uh-huh. Well, today, uh, people are going out and they're um, getting Vivitrol shots. They're taking prescription medications to help them with their opioid addiction, even Mm -hmm. alcohol. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This is an answer, and we've been using it, and it's lowered their addiction by six. Thus far, we've seen in my clinic 60 to 70% less addictive uh, uh, properties when they use this and it's harmless. And the other part of this is it increases and modulates pain. It has to do with something called enkephalins and it paces enkephalins, which lowers their pain, but it decreases their addictive rate. And so what we want to do is we want to offer this to addictive clinics because this is a really safe and non 
it has a non-negative response to individuals that we're finding thus far to lower their addiction rate. And it's been really successful thus far. And if we can offer this to people, we're willing to help people with drug addiction centers and things like this, because this is an alternative that could be very refreshing for the struggles on people that are suffering from um, opioid addictions. So, you know, a lot of my clientele, they don't have very much money. Most folks are on state Medicaid. So how affordable is a supplement like that? Let's put it this way. We're willing to work. That's how diligent I am with this. I want to be, I want to do the best I can so we can work with the client to make it affordable for them. That's what's important because we want to be able to meet their demands. And my, the reason I'm sitting here today, Melanie, is to help people. That's the number one priority. And I don't want fiscal conditions to really be much of a barrier for us to be able to reach these people that are in need, such as addiction. Yeah, I can I can understand that you're doing it straight from your heart, which is why you are so kind to, you know, give your book away for free. Well, we want to. We you know, and if I can help these people that are in need, I'm here. Even if they want to call my clinic, I'm here to to uh donate my time to talk to them, to give them perhaps assistance any way that I can. That's great. So talk to us a little bit about how you were able to heal yourself from type 2 diabetes. So basically, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. We didn't run A1Cs at that time. You know, that was back in 79, I think, 79, something like that. And so there was no uh, way of monitoring glycation protein at that time. So we were just running glucose tests. My glucose was 300. and what I did is I discovered a book, Macrobiotics, by Michio Kushi. And I read that book, and I realized that brown rice, it was a change of diet. Brown rice, vegetables, and macrobiotics has since kind of gone by the wayside. But at that time, it was important for me because it more it elaborated on removing myself from food that wasn't beneficial for a diabetic. So what, what I did is I followed this and I just ate brown rice for like six months with salt. And that's all I did. I remember I just (laughs) strictly brown rice could believe it or not. And the next time I went back to the physician, which was at a, at a clinic, it was a, um, a health clinic that was affordable my blood sugar was normal, and it's been that way ever since. That's amazing. Now, I don't recommend that for everyone, obviously. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, we have, well, we have much more, uh, thank goodness for science and everything else. Now we understand how to take care of A1C, and I actually designed and patented a process to do that to where we don't have, they don't have to take brown rice anymore. Now they just <laughs> simply take one supplement, and we're seeing – uh, uh, a great turnaround with people that have problems with diabetes type two, and it helps type one to some degree as well. Wow, I can't believe all the amazing things that you're doing, and <laughs> it's well, like it, a, it's a gift that you came into my life because, I mean, you, 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 
and I could partner together and do some really big things. That's exactly it. It's that drop falling into the lake. We're all together. If we work together on this, we become that lake. Mm-hmm. And we can touch the shores. And it is an honor meeting you. And what the work you do, and you've helped so many people, I, I'm i honored to be, to call you a friend. And I mean that sincerely because <laughs> of what you do. And, and I think people like you and myself can synergistically come together and help the greater portion of the populace. All right. So, Kevin, do me a favor. Let people know how they can get in touch with you. I know you have your website. I visited it. I know you're on Facebook, Twitter, and social media. Um, But tell us the easiest way to uh, get in touch with you. And um, Sure. Uh, to call my my office, should I give you my number? Or should we just put it on a post? How should that be done? You can put it out there, sure. Sure. So let's give us your number. Yeah, basically it's 307-734-8044. And that's my clinic number, and that's the best way. Or you can email me at the letter K Meehan. So it's K Meehan at Bresnan which is B-R-E-S-N-A-N dot net. Okay. That's great. So do you do any speaking engagements? Do you travel? I do. Uh, I've been busy lately and haven't done much, but I do lecture. Um, But I do speaking engagements when invited to do so. and. that is a venue we're seeing more and more uh, common today with not only the book, but what we're doing with the company and everything else. So I'm honored to do a speaking engagement. Once again, Melanie, it's if I can help and provide and get the message out there and it can be anything from pathologies, like how are we going to take care of, you know, gout as an example, I'm happy to give the dialogue on what we see that's helpful to give an explanation medically and to go into the biochemistry of it. And what I do when I practice medicine, Melanie, is I give a biochemical premise on why it, it occurs. As an example, if you have a bacterial infection, why is this bacteria doing what it's doing? How can it be harmful for you? How can we best treat it? That type of thing. So I like to cover the whole dialogue from a scientific perspective up to a perspective of saying, how are we going to treat it? What is the protocol in order to treat the pathology? That's great. Very nice. Very nice. Well, we only have like about 10 minutes left. What else would you like to share with the audience? Um, Another thing I'd like to share real quickly do you remember, Melanie, the early episodes of The Twilight Zone? Do you remember that? Yes, I right. used to love it. <laughs> I think it, it was, I, I think The Twilight Zone was like my sister, my sister Robin. Kudos to you, Robin. <laughs> that was her favorite show. She would make us watch it with her. <laughs> well, she would probably remember the episode that was the most standout to me. There was a, she'll probably remember this one if she's listening. There is this 
uh, I believe he was, if I remember correctly, he was an industrialist, right? And he had a few companies and he used to take advantage of people. He used to take advantage of his clients. He used to just, you know, overcharge. And I believe it's in New York. He's walking across the street and he gets hit by a car. Mm. The next scene is he wakes up and he's on the couch in this penthouse in New York. And he's overlooking the city. He's being waited on by beautiful women, bringing him drinks. And he has a personal assistant who asks him, listen, is there anything I can do for you? The whole show revolves around him in a smoking jacket, getting everything he wants. And at the end of this episode, he was confiding in his personal assistant. And he, he was confiding, saying, the way I treated people when I was, you know, living and everything else, because he was told he passed away, uh, the, the way I treated people, I thought I would have ended up in hell. And his personal assistant responded, saying, what makes you think you're in heaven? Wow. That That's what I want to say. <laughs> that is our perception of what we think might be heaven actually could be, or what we think could be hell actually could be heaven. And that's what I wanted to suggest is that why that, that one program was so instrumental. And I want to convey that we may consider ourselves, whatever current state we're in, as it being good or bad, rather than saying it just is. And we have the opportunities of saying we're only judging this as bad when it's not really bad at all, or we're judging this as good when it's not good at all. It's just a matter of our perception. And I'd like to convey that regardless of where we're at. And me in my past being homeless and addicted to drugs and being raped, it was only my perception of it being a bad situation because look what it did for me today. It escalated me and it propelled me to a point of where I am today, where I'm hoping that I'm helping other people. And how can this, what happened to me as a young teen, be noted as being negative if it has allowed me to be where I am today? You're right. But as I'm talking, as I'm listening and speaking with you, I'm thinking about, because I did a radio show, maybe about six months ago for a podcast and I talked about why people are so angry today like what is going on in the world that people are so angry it this isn't this is like a different world and I think about you know all the young children and teenagers adolescents who I work with this is a different world for them than it was for me and they, you know, young people today, I'm seeing so much anxiety. I'm seeing so much depression, you know, and I blame some of it, a lot of it on social media. When I was growing up, there was no social media. So what is your spin on exactly what's going on in this world today and how we can make ourselves feel better? I personally feel that and I'm going to give you my own perspective. I feel that personally women are more intuitive than men 
And if men would learn to shut up occasionally and listen to women more often, we have a window to the cosmos. So to answer your question about the anger, I see it more with men than I do with women. Our suicide rate, according to statistics, show that 17% has gone up with males, where females, it hasn't really seen that much of a change. So to answer your question, with for me personally, I see more anger with men. And I think it's the frustration of understanding that they are not this dialogue that we once we refer to them as being a superior creature to women. And we can look through various manuscripts that proclaim that women are inferior to men in many cases, as you know. And I think there's an awakening of females to be able to, I per, this is my own personal opinion, to be able, if we listen to the female, it's the voice of the cosmos. We even see this in the dialogue of, of traditional Chinese medicine, the yin energy, the female energy's growth. It's, it's generation. It's new. It's, it's about intuition. And I think a lot of males, now I know I'm categorizing this where you were in a broad aspect with the population. And I'm categorizing this as gender specific. But for me personally, I see more men killing themselves, more men doing the shooting. I don't know of any females, at least maybe I'm dissociated from the media, that are females that are doing killing. Now, I know in my personal life, I learned to listen to a female, and it seems to me that that is, in essence, an echo of the cosmos. It's almost like looking at a telescope for me at the grandeur of the universe. So to answer your question, I think gender-specific anger with males, it might be that coming to reality that, listen, we are the men are not that dialogue as the history suggested, of being this hierarchy. As we look at the history of time, all of the religious leaders in the history of time have been males. Yeah. All the authors of religious texts are males. And it's like, because in my personal opinion, Melanie, we the ones that are thirsty are the ones that seek the water. And in my opinion, these men are thirsty and they're seeking external validation where I, I personally feel that most all women have it intrinsically. The validation is intrinsic. It's being able to express it that gets to be perhaps the, uh, the challenge at times. Wow. You made a really good point because when I think about it, I never even put, I never even thought about gender. That never even crossed my mind. You're absolutely right. It, and, and, by all means, if we have the opportunity to be humble enough as males and say, listen, let's just listen to the yin energy. I'm going to put that in perspective of uh, Oriental philosophy and realize that um, we have the opportunity to see ourselves more clearly. I do in my relationship uh, with my partner. When she talks to me, I learn more about myself, actually. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, we, we do need to listen more to others. Definitely. It it improves your relationship. We learned that from mindfulness. Oh, by far. And I think it improves our relationships with ourselves. Yeah. So, and if I may, 
If you can send me your email, I'd like to show you some of my artwork just for you. So, you can oh, look yeah. at. so I do like engaging in artwork. Uh, I did a book, a children's book, Isosceles' Day, where we illustrated the book. And I'm not an artist. I've never been trained. But the artwork itself shows what happens if we unveil ourselves. We don't need the training that we might think we need to have. So. I, I definitely would love it. I have your email address now. I've been I've been in contact with uh, Danielle. But um, yes, definitely send me your artwork. I'd be happy to. And I will send you my email address so I can get all of that. And you and I will uh, talk again because uh, we can do some, like I said, we can do some partnership together to work on helping people really heal. Let's you from, from the medicine perspective, me from mental health perspective. Let's do it, Melanie. You you rock. Your heart's good. Let's get this thing. Yeah, we can do it. You know, so is yours. You love you. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thank you so much for being a guest. So I just want to remind people if you would like to contact Kevin at his clinic because you're suffering from chronic pain or depression, substance abuse, what have you. He can be reached at 307-734-8044, 307-734-8044. And Kevin's website address is kmehan, Bresnan, B-R-E-S-N-A-N dot net. Did I get that right? Yeah, Kevin, kmehan at Bresnan dot net. At Bresnan. Okay. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's, it's been honor. nice. It's been so nice spending time with you. And I will be in touch. Thank you, Melanie, so much. And let's try to do this again if you want sometime, okay? Yes, yeah. You gotta you gotta I'm sorry, you you gotta come back and be a guest on my show. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it, Definitely. Okay. okay. You'd be good. Well, you take care of yourself and God bless. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so I just wanted to let everyone know I've had guests these past few weeks, but I'm going to come back. Um, The next show is scheduled for the 21st of June at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'm going to focus that entire show on trauma and attachment. Um, so we're going to be getting back to um, the work that, you know, we started out doing. So thank you, everybody, and take care, and I'll see you on the 21st. Bye-bye.